All right, Grant. Uh, thanks a lot again for coming on. Yeah, sure. Uh, we're going to cover some interesting stuff in this one. Uh, so before we dive into all the uh, spiritual stuff and the technical stuff, um, I know you had a UFO experience. I think it was in 1975 or somewhere around then. Yeah, that's how it started for me. Yeah. Uh, do you want to briefly cover that just for people that don't know you? Well, at the time I was going to university and I couldn't figure out what the heck I was doing in university, how you'd make any money out of the stuff I was learning. And um, uh, I had no background in ufology. I had no interest in ufology. I don't remember ever having thought about the subject. I had an interest in Edgar Casey, and I was raised uh, very religiously. I was raised to be a minister, which never came. I sort of pulled out before that stage came. But I had done a, a study at that time on dying people in hospitals, all these weird questions about uh, do people ever have out-of-body experiences? Do they ever have near-death experiences? Do Has anybody ever come to pick them up? Uh, is... Um, uh, is, is anybody ever predict their death? Do you have any miracles? And I went and I did a, a whole term paper on this, running around different chaplains in the university. So that was sort of the background. And then what happened was in February 1975, there's a small town called Carmen, Manitoba, Canada, which is just about 35, 40 miles north, of, maybe a little bit, no, but yeah, 40 miles north of the uh, American border. Uh, UFOs were starting to be seen there. And the, and the claim was they were being seen almost every night. And they were calling this thing Charlie Red Star because it was a red plasma type object that was flying around there. And I said to my friend who actually now is sort of fighting for his life in hospital, I said to him, I said, uh, hey, Larry, you know, I said, we drive around the city all the time. Why don't we go out and see what they're looking at? You know, I had no interest. I just said, well, we should go then instead of driving here, let's go see what they're looking at. He said, OK, we'll do it. And we never did. And then in May of that year. Um, if you're familiar with the Nimitz story, the famous Nimitz story of it going from 80,000 80, feet down to sea level in seven eighths of a second, which would have taken as much energy as as nuclear energy in the United States in one year. Uh, we had exactly the same event happen there in Canada in 1975, except it was caught on film. The thing jumped from the ground up to either three or five thousand feet. There was never a real analysis done. Uh, we know where the camera was. We know where the object was. And it went from the bottom of the frame to the top of the frame in one eighth of a second, 3,000 or 5,000 feet in one, one eighth of a second. And so the, the TV crew that caught this thing, it was being played on the TV station and they were slowing it down frame by frame. And, um, and then I said to my friend, I said, come on, let's, let's go see what they're looking at. And this is two weeks after the end of the Vietnam War. So this is about the middle of May, 1975. We went out there and, um, uh, we drove into town, out of the town. We we're looking around, like, what's everybody looking at? And we, whatever it is, it ain't very impressive. And uh, my friend Larry said, he said, okay, we'll drive back into town one more time. If we don't see anything, let's go home. He said, fantastic. It's been a total waste of time. So we turned the car to go back into Carmen. And there it comes from the left to the right. And there was three people in the car. Uh, and nobody said, is that what they're looking at? I wonder if that's what everybody's talking about. Everybody just went, there it is. Everybody just instantly knew this is what they were talking about. It was just so weird. And he flew right in front of the car. And it was almost like, uh, at that time, I really didn't realize. But years later, I sort of realized that this was not a random event. And it was sort of like they came in close enough that I would have no doubt in my mind that this is for real, that this is a real phenomenon. So I've never really gone after sightings after that point of time, mostly because I, I went and I sort of bought into the sightings and the, the, the glamour of the whole thing. And I went and interviewed a lot of people in the town. Uh, it was half the people in the town had seen this thing. So I was interviewing people and they didn't want to talk. And I put it all together in a manuscript and, and the local publisher should have published it said, Mr. Cameron, 
you may believe in this kind of stuff. Count me among the unbelievers. And I went, what? I couldn't believe it. I thought, you're going to drop this story? You're not going to do this story? And I, and I said, that's it. Forget it. No more sightings. And I, all I was interested then was that I'm some small town hook, you know, guy from, uh, from Canada. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but somebody's got to know what's going on here. Somebody's got to know what this is. And that's when I, I made a pursuit. I went from the Canadian government to uh, president, former president of Penn State University, Dr. Eric Walker, who was the chairman of the board of the biggest military think tank in the United States. And then I went to the president of the United States. And then I went to experiencers. So I've gone from place to place trying to find someone who's got the answer. And I believe now the experiencers, the people who are interacting with the intelligence, are the ones with the answers. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're holding something back. Uh what do you think about the recent disclosure activity that's been going on? You got the David Grush guy, you got the hearings and all of that. Anything on that? Uh, well, yeah, I've been, I, I've, I've got a book. Um, I didn't publish. I have two books that I finished. One was called, uh, I wrote an original book called um, uh, UFOs, Area 51 and Government Informants. And that is about the, the disclosure. And I've always said all the way back, I've said, the government is disclosing this thing. There are people inside the government who are gradually leaking this stuff out. And everybody said, no, 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 no. And now everybody sort of agrees with me that, that this stuff is going on. And then I wrote a book called um, Managing Magic, which is the indication that um, Ron Pendolfi, if you followed him, he's a CIA guy that Jim Semivan has now confirmed ran the weird desk, the UFO paranormal stuff at the CIA. Um, he made a statement, he said in 1991 to a guy that he started to feed material to, he said, we have a phenomenology problem. So we're not looking at UFOs, we're looking at phenomenology. We have a phenomenology problem. And so the reason that's why I called the book Beyond Managing Magic. So it's the government managing not UFOs, but magic, the whole thing, paranormal phenomena, ghosts, all this kind of stuff. And they realized that's why they went to Skinwalker Ranch. They didn't go to Skinwalker Ranch looking for UFOs. They went because... Uh, Lekatsky got this weird uh, object floating in the room when he w first went there, which was the off the cover from the the album that that had the Exorcist music on it, and and then uh, they were looking at the portal, which is an extremely important subject. They were they were very interested in this portal that had formed at Skinwalker Ranch, and they were of course interested in what I wrote a book called uh, Ports of Manifestations or uh, Weird. Ports and manifestations, and that's what it is. It's very weird. So what they're looking at is the ports that were happening at the Skinwalker Ranch. The woman comes home, she's got all the groceries. She takes the groceries out of the bag, and then she goes to the next room. She comes back in, and all the groceries are back in the bag. And then she, uh, they, they, they're saying, I hope they don't mess with the bulls. And then suddenly, there's four prize bulls. He goes out, and the prize bulls are gone out of the corral, and he looks around like, oh, they got my bulls. And and then he looks, and there's a there's a, a trailer there, locked trailer. And he said, I wonder if they're in the trailer. And he looks and sure enough, these bulls are all squished into this trailer. That's what DIA wanted. They, they weren't really that interested in the UFO thing. They were trying to figure out how do you put something through metal? How do you put four bulls inside a trailer? And I even in my port book, I actually uh, quote a 1974 DIA document, which actually says, and I'll just paraphrase it. He said, if a port is very important, if we could learn how this apportation thing works, we could go into the enemy safe, we could take the documents, we could take the documents back to Washington. We could photocopy them. We could put them back in the vault and they would never even know we were there. It's this whole idea. This is this is technology that they could use in terms of intelligence and warfare and all this kind of stuff. So that's what they're basically in. And that, so that's the whole idea that it, this is like a, a phenomenology problem. Everything is linked in there. And what, what you've got now is you've got people who are just sort of confirming stuff that's like we, we were talking about years and years ago. 
the idea that you had bodies and crafts. I mean, that was 1978, uh, Len Stringfield giving the first lecture at Dayton, Ohio, talking about crash, crash saucers and bodies and stuff. And everybody went, no, 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 no. And then you just see it gradually coming in. And what you get is like the, the New York Times, the, it get, gets acclimatized. People talk about it. And I remember years ago, people say, no, no, there's no proof of UFOs and all this kind of stuff. And then the New York Times comes along, a, you know, sort of this reputable source and says, oh, yeah, it's real. There's a government program on UFOs. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, I knew that already. And the whole zeitgeist shifts. And now you've got the zeitgeist shifting again is this idea like, okay, uh, what, what about the bodies and the crafts? So Gresh comes forward and he he claims that, yeah, that we have bodies and crafts, which we've always said that they got bodies and crafts. And I actually add to that, that doesn't mean it's extraterrestrial. And that's what Jim Semivan said. Because you got bodies and crafts doesn't mean you know what's going on. And that's, I think, where people are sort of making the mistake now is they believe there's going to be disclosure. People say, when there's going to be disclosure? I said, there's never going to be disclosure. The disclosure is, it doesn't even exist. If you actually look at it, Every time you look at a problem, it doesn't matter whether it's UFOs or whether it's um, the simple thing of a single cell amoeba. When you look at a single cell amoeba, you say, oh, it's very simple. We understand that. And it's like baloney. You don't understand anything. A single cell amoeba has 12 quadrillion atoms in it. And it has uh, 670 up to 670 billion base pairs in it. When you start looking at how complex this thing is. And then you realize that these 12 quadrillion atoms come out of nowhere. Like, where'd they come from? It's, oh, they just suddenly appear out of nowhere. They all go into three-dimensional spot at the right place in the right time. And they form this. And then they recreate. We've got 3 billion base pairs in the human body. This thing has 670 billion base pairs. And it puts down the base pairs without error. And you say, oh, it's just happening. So we make up these words like placebo and uh, mother nature and evolution. All we're doing is naming stuff. And that's what's happening with disclosure is that I will maintain that when you get to look at it, it's going to get more complex and more complex and more complex. And there really is no answer. And that's the, the whole thing I think people are missing. They think the government has the answer. And I think the basic premise of the government is, number one, they, they realize that they don't have the answer, that they don't really know what's going on. And that's what Jim Semivan said. He said, uh, people say, we should just got to connect the dots. And this guy got the briefing. He said he knows where the legacy programs are. He knows where, where they're hiding the legacy programs, what they're doing. He was a high-level equivalent to a two-star general at the CIA. And he said, uh, people say we've got to put the dots together. I'm not sure there's any dots to put together. There does not appear to be any there there. When you got to get a guy that's got a briefing that says that, then you got to start to wonder what's really going on behind the scenes. And you see all this stuff that has come out now. They suddenly say, oh, no, there's not ET. The high level people are saying it's not ET. And we've been saying that. Jacques Vallée has been saying that for 50 years. I've been saying that for at least a decade, that this this doesn't make any sense. It's It's not ET. And so the question is that they've got this stuff and they really can't, they can't figure it out. And they, the stuff that they have figured out from experiences, which is what they're doing as well. The, uh, Ron Pendolfi put out a statement which says, uh, lights in the sky have almost no um, evidential value. We, we follow the experiences. We, we cannot control the phenomena. So we watch those that the phenomena inter, inter, in, in affects. So that's what they're doing. They're watching the experiences. And basically, when you start coming to that, then you start to realize that this thing is a lot less physical than people think it is. It's a lot more spiritual than people think it is. It has this, this component. And uh, one of the things that they may definitely be wanting to hide is that the, uh, the intelligence has no interest in capitalism. None. And that's when you go back to the 1950s and you look at George Adamski 
And uh, all these guys, the reason they were being followed around by the FBI was not because they were doing the UFO thing. It was because they had a communist message, society, this oneness message. We should all work together as one. We should all, we're all equal and we should all work like a cells in a body and stuff like that. That's not the message they want. They, they want this message of, of getting it and, and, and building weapons. So those would be the things I think that they, that the guys, if you've got some sort of really black ops guys who understand, they understand that. For example, Tim Taylor, if you know the story of, um, American Cosmic, Diane Pasalka talks about this uh, story about, uh, she calls him Tyler D. He's this high level guy at, at NASA. And he um, uh, is in contact with the phenomena. He, he had an invention that sold for major, major money. He told me I had one chance to talk to this guy back in 2013. And here's a guy who knows basically, uh, you know, as much as anybody knows. And um, he, uh, he just gets, gets these inventions and he basically um, talks about the, the, the crafts that are crashing and dropping metal. And that's what I say. You don't come a hundred thousand light years across the universe and then pieces start falling off the flying saucer. They're dropping this stuff on purpose. This is, and he calls it the gifting field. And so Diane Pasolka talks about him taking her to this field in New Mexico where this crash thing had taken place. And there's all these altars there. And Tim Taylor starts to pray and he builds an altar. And you see this kind of component. See, when you see guys like that at very high levels who are doing this kind of stuff, you realize it has this other component, which would make sense. The, the basic thing of all paranormal, uh, say, mystical literature is remember who you actually are. You are not a physical being having a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being having a physical experience. We come into the world and that's you got to look at it this whole perspective. Why are we here? What is really going on here? We're looking at it like it's a physical world. And there may be this spiritual thing. There may be this, this ET thing coming from out there. And we, and we do the separation thing. Instead of the oneness thing, we separate things. So there's, there's you, me. And if you go back to the, the many decades, uh, you know, millennium ago with the Chinese, the, the Tao Te Ching, the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. The, the name that can be named is not the eternal name. And that's the thing that you, once you name it, it's wrong. It's a verb. Everything's alive. Everything's conscious. Everything's one. And that's what you get when you start going into these other things like like uh, psychedelics and stuff. You start getting or people in meditation or people with out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences. They get this thing where, oh, I suddenly realized everything was alive, conscious, and one. And then you start seeing dead people on board ships, UFO ships and stuff like that. And you realize, oh, my God, and this stuff's all connected. It's all one thing. And we're parsing it. So we, we get into ufology and we just do UFOs. We do UFO sightings. We think that's the answer. And we go down this road and we don't realize that there's all these other components that fit together. And it's going to come down to what is actual reality? That's, I guess, my bottom line that I'm working on now. What's the nature of reality? How does reality actually work? The idea that these craft are physical and that there's people in them flying around from a million light years away. It's kind of an archaic idea. It, it seems more like these craft are sort of in some interdimensional state, and they can phase in and out of existence and change their size. I, I, there was something I read the other day about how there was a ship or something or some kind of thing, and then it was larger on the inside than it was on the outside. Yeah. So things like that that boggle the mind. And you brought up a good point about how the government probably has no idea how any of this stuff operates. I mean, they might understand some more advanced propulsion mechanisms and they've reverse engineered some things, but they probably don't understand exactly how it all works. And the more they research, the more they realize they don't know. 
as you said, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, the, uh, the knowledge gaps. Um, so when you interacted with your UFO, the, the red light thing, did you, was there any kind of, uh, telepathic communication with that or was it just, you saw it and that was it? Uh, no, that's a thing people got to realize in ufology is that what happened in 1975 doesn't happen now. What happens now didn't happen in 1975. It's a completely different world. There was really no abductions. Uh, Travis Walton was abducted the same year that, that I had my experience. Linda Howe got involved the same year that I got, got involved. So did uh, Bud Hopkins get involved in 1975. And all these people sort of came in. But it was very simple. There was There was one kid who may have been abducted. Uh, but abduction was not a subject. There was no crop circles then. There was cattle mutilations, but the cattle mutilations have gone. And that's what people got to realize is that, you know, people say, OK, it's, it's E.T. And I say, well, if you really believe it's E.T., you got to go back and you got to do history, not just like look at the last five minutes of, of, of the UFO world. You got to go back and look at 1896 when these things were flying in the, in the, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch said they're from Mars. Uh, uh, the Washington Examiner said they were from Mars. Uh, one person claimed they're from above the clouds and stuff like that. And you, and you see these guys hanging down on ropes. And they're flying around in wooden ships with big lights. And there was no batteries at the time. So the, where'd, where'd the lights come from? How do you run lights in these wooden ships? And I said, if you believe that they're from Mars, do you actually believe that these things, these wooden ships, flew through the vacuum of space with these guys on them? from mars i mean it's, that's total insanity but we we don't look back at that and say you know something's not making sense or in the 1950s when they said they were from venus or they're from from mars or they're from the moon or the one that was in contact with the canadian government that the canadian government was following and the cia was following and so was the de defense intel uh, not defense navy intelligence in the united states was following his name was apa and he claimed he was from uranus and then on uranus there was a half a billion people 500 million people there and they lived sort of like us and Uranus is like 235 degrees below zero. And so I remember the, the metallurgist said to me, Grant, let me assure you, at no time did we ever believe that thing was from Uranus. Absolutely no way. And so the thing is, they're they're putting these stories out there. They're, the, the thing is shifting. And that's what Lekatsky said. If you've seen the, the Lekatsky, the guy around the OSAP program, uh, he talks about the, the database that they built. And he said in the database, every single case of the 200,000 cases, every single sighting was different. And so all the sightings are off the table. You're wasting your time with sightings. It's, it's like when I had my experiences in 75, I had one. The second night I went out, the first night we went out, and I dragged, dragged all my friends. I said, man, you got to come see this, man. It's unbelievable. And there was people all over the place out there from the city trying to see this thing. And we were in one spot. There's 28 people there. And the thing came by, came, it was sort of, it, was, it started as a flash in the sky, like a flash. It was a flash. And then these little kids were with us and, and they were in the field. And they said, is that it, Grant? Is that it? And I go, Yes, so. And then it was flashed again. Flash, flash. It was jumping around the sky. We called it the bouncing ping pong wall. It was jumping around the sky all over the place. And um, uh, I remember there's a girl couldn't see it. There was a guy. She was crying. She couldn't see it. And then there was a guy beside her in, the, in their car. And he was madly shooting as fast as he could shoot the camera and loading the camera as this thing was coming towards us. And it changed from this flashing thing as it got closer and closer. And then it turned into this red thing I'd seen the first night, except that a green glow on the back of it the second night. And, and, and that was the, the thing was that it had changed. It changed from this flashing light to this thing. And then in 76, I had another one where it sat above the car. And this was the one where it was coming. It was like on the U.S. border. And it was like an arc welding light. It looked like a brilliant arc welding light on the border. And it made its turn. It came around and it came and flew right above the car. 
And I was petrified. And I remember looking up with the binoculars at this thing, and it was a triangle. It wasn't there was no white light on anymore. It had two green, two red lights on the front, a green light in the back, and the and the front end that was flying backwards. It had the the flat end flying towards me, and it was hovering. It was sitting right above the car, and it was either very close or very big because it was the entire field of vision in, in the binoculars. And so again, there you have the the, the thing can change. So if, if the object can morph and can change, whatever, then all all bets are off. And that's what they say. Even when they're they're asked, "Are you ETs?" They'll basically say, "When we come into your world." We take on a body. We can take on whatever body we want. We don't need to take on a body. We, in order to work in your world, we have to do that. You can do the same thing. You don't realize it. And so basically, it's like a, to me, it's like a vibration thing, that they are just on a different frequency of the, of the radio. You, and, and you have certain people who can tune into that frequency and pick them up. And that's, that's what happens. So when you have that. So I didn't have the, the, the um, uh, I, I did sighting stuff. And then I did the presidents for many years. And then I had, um, instead of the telepathic thing, I had the the download experience, which I wrote a book called Inspired. I wrote, because it happened to me. So I wrote about all the famous musicians, the song uh, Yesterday, which came in a dream. And uh, uh, Harry Potter, all the seven books of Harry Potter came in an instantaneous download. And, and this thing, so I had the download in 2012, where I'm watching Colin Andrews give a lecture on crop circles, which I'm really not interested in. And I daydream, which is one of the ways you can get in the field. You just daydream, you shut down the left brain, the signal, the noise diminishes and diminishes, and suddenly, boom, you pick up the signal, and there it is. And I got this thing that basically said, you know, in 75, you were wondering, because the second night I was flying away, I said, that's pretty cool. I mean, that could be an extraterrestrial. I'm going, wow, that's pretty cool. And then I thought, what's it doing? not doing anything. And that uh, obsessed me my entire life. They're not doing anything. And I'll ask people I've been experienced. I'll say, hey, you say, what, what, what did it do? And it, I said, just flying along? Yeah. Do you think it saw you? I think so. And people, and, the, and that's the thing. It's, they, they, they sense it as somewhat, somewhat important. Or, or Bud Hopkins. How oh, Bud Hopkins got involved in 1964. He's driving down the road. And, the, and all of a sudden, boom, with these people from Great Britain in the car. And he said, suddenly, boom, just flying saucer above the car in plain daylight. He's just sitting there. It wasn't doing anything. Same as mine. It was like, what's it doing? It's just sitting there. Uh, he became obsessed. The next day he drove the road again. And he said that it was three minutes. He had watched this thing for three minutes because he was driving as he was watching it. And he became obsessed with the subject. And that's what they do. I call it the theory of wow. They just get you going. They do a weird thing. And you get down the rabbit hole and you can't get out. And you start to explore. Because that's how you advance science. Awe and curiosity are what, what move science down the road. If you're not curious, you're not going to do any experiments. And so what they're doing is getting you curious. They're, they're dragging you down the road with these little breadcrumbs. So I didn't get that, but I started to get the download experiences. And I've had quite a few quite a few of those. Uh, 2012, I had a dramatic one in 2016, which went to this theory of reality. I, I, they basically uh, gave me about 24 things. It was about 15, and then it stopped. Then I put my glove on again. I put my, my pad and paper away. And then it started to come again in my head. I'm walking down a street. Again, I'm just, I'm walking. So I, I walk an awful lot. And I'd walk two miles. And I'm heading downtown. It's about a six-mile walk. And I just sort of zoned out. And this sort of came. And, and when you get these experiences, you know. You know it's real. You know to write it down. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it was basically saying to me, uh, is the world random? If the world is random, that's one thing. But if it's, it's pattern, that's a whole different world. Is the world made out of nuts and bolts? If it is, that's one world. But if it's made out of consciousness, that's a completely different world. And it was, is, is this or is it this? And it was 24 things. And it basically said what I've been told when I did the psychedelics. I did 27 high-dose uh, 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 um, uh, psilocybin 
experiments. And I wrote a book on the first 15. Basically, I called the psilocybin school. So I said, okay, I knew you could get in the field. They're all It's 40% of all experiencers and 31% of all near-death experiencers will say at one point during the experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. And I've had that experience. So everything's in the field. All the answers are there. It's the ability to get in the answer. So when I start, when I learned to do this, then I, 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 it started to come to me more and more. And I went into this, what I call the psilocybin school. I knew these people, it was like going on a roller coaster. You can't really control what's going to happen, but you can get in the field. And I said, I got to get in the field because I don't want to do meditation. I, I, I just couldn't do meditation and stuff like that. And uh, so I said, I'm going to get in there. And I said, I'm coming to school. So for the first six lessons, it was very simple. I knew within couple of minutes exactly what the lesson was going to be and they gave me these lessons on on compassion on despair on death and i knew exactly what the, the thing was and they would show me these different things and stuff like that and uh, i basically um learned that uh the world is 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 a different place than than we think it is and i spend almost all my time now on this idea that uh, stuff is in the field so i look for uh trans channelers who uh there's a test you can run to say that they're actually trans channeling that they're actually getting material that there are people who are like musicians so i may not know how to play the piano that's the thing in 1975 i didn't know how to play the piano but i think i can find someone who knows how to play the piano who's really good at it and then i listen to them so that's why i always say with people inside the ufo field you people are always having these fights about who's telling the truth who's not telling the truth and i say there's a bunch of these high level guys who are talking i don't care if you believe them disbelieve them just listen carefully because from time to time they're going to let something slip that they shouldn't really talk about like eric davis talking about the fact that that 1989 they put the ufo on the shelf and they couldn't figure it out and they put it on the shelf and every six or seven years they take it off and see if they've got science that can that can handle the problem so there's a lot of these people who have little bits and pieces of the puzzle and that's to me is the what you got to listen to is the experiencers who are interacting with the intelligence and these high level people who uh have little bits and pieces of the story and they start to, you listen carefully and you start to realize what may be going on. So what do you think the ETs are here to teach us, if anything? Well, again, I don't believe they're ETs. I, I believe they're on a different vibratory level. They're not interdimensional. We make up again, we make up all these words. We say, you know, because we, we said uh, these to be owls and fairies and then there were, uh, you know, ETs and stuff. So I say that they, I, I, this is like a, the same thing as ghosts, same thing as uh because uh, you, you get the same thing. Um, I'll give you an example. Ron Johnson is a friend of mine. He's a, a guy out of Utah who has 50 years of experiences. He's a Mormon guy. And he had um, UFO experiences. He had the, the very traumatic ones when it first started. And then he had this being called Elby. And that's another thing which you see a crossover with with this UFO thing. Jim Semivan, for example, says, I'm standing there and they asked him, was there any telepathy when these beings were in your room? This is a two-star general from the CIA. He said, that's the strangest part, he said. I was standing there, and there was this being behind me, and it had this Guardian-type thing going on about it. And I'm, I'm a Michael Newton fan, so I know this life between life story and all the 7,000 regressions. Like, hey, that's a soul guide. That's a soul guide talking to me behind him, and he's, he can't look behind him. And so I started asking people, because I wrote a book on people who have been on the craft who flew the craft. And for example, I went, asked Whitley Strieber. I said, hey, Whitley, you ever have anybody behind you on the craft that you can't look around, you can't see, but they're telling you what to do? And he said, all the time. And he told me about how he was going to want to steal the flying saucer. He was sitting at the panel board. He was going to fly the craft. And then he said, I think I'll, I think I'll steal this thing. And he said telepathically, if you hear somebody behind him laughing, that they were laughing that he was going to steal the craft. And that, and that, that's, the, that's the, the, the key to me is that you have um, these um, 
experiences that sort of teach you that it's it's this highly complex thing that has has to do with consciousness and um so i I've, I've i've followed that and i lost track of your question what was your your question oh i don't remember actually yeah <laughs> i was just getting sucked into what you were saying yeah it, it it that's the thing oh no i was talking about ron johnson okay so ron johnson my friend he has um this lb guy and if you talk to people you, you can i even sort of bypass it from time to time i'll say so what was the name of the guy you were dealing with and then they'll say oh it's Albie or mr or the grandfather they always have a name and it's like what you start to realize is that every on the craft they only talk to one alien there may be all sorts of aliens on the craft but there's only one alien that talks to them and the question again is is that a spirit guide or is that actually an alien is that someone is this all a play they make this play to teach you a lesson or whatever and it's not really et it's got nothing to do with the et's and so Ron Johnson, his 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 being is called Elby, and um, he believes it may be his biological son because there's this this bio, you know this uh, hybrid thing going on. And he in one regression he believed that this was his son, and so Elby at one point takes him to the spirit world, and and three times. So the first time it's sort of like a dark place; he really can't see anything. He can sort of hear and stuff like that. The second one, it he can't see anything, but he he's with his dead mother. And he, he can talk, talk to his dead mother and communicate with his dead mother. The third time, LB takes him right into the spirit world. And he's in the spirit world and he's in this field with his mother. And it's like just you and I talking. He says, this is as real as real can be. And he said, there's this building. And you can see how they, they, they craft this thing. It's like a dream or like a lucid dream. So they craft this thing. So there's a building there. And the building, he said, looks like a small uh, Mormon temple out of some, some town in Utah. He names the town. I can't remember the name of the town was, but that's the thing. So the, it's sculptured like a, like a, he's a Mormon guy. So it has this Mormon aspect to it. And his mother said, Ron, when you die, you're going to get a, and you got to remember, there's a being with him, him and his mother, and this being are in this, in this as real as can be experienced. And I remember him telling me, I said, was, was he actually real? He was real. Let me tell you, he was as real as real can be. So they can come in, they can manifest in the physical world. They can manifest as even in, in like in, in that world, the dream world, you can manifest as physical. It can be very physical experience. So he said, his mother said, when you get, when you die, you're going to get a room in this building. Your father, I've got a room in this building. Your father's got a room in this building. And he said, this portal sort of opens up in the building and you can see his father inside this room, inside the building. So she takes him inside the building. And then he says, so I go inside the building. He says, you know what? It was 10 or 100 times the size inside the building as it was outside. And I said, hey, that's what the UFO people say. I wrote the, the Sky Pilot book on the 36 people flying the craft. And a lot of them said that. This, the thing was the size of a football stadium on the inside. And so I'm going, it was as big as, it was huge. He said, yeah, it was huge on the inside. And I'm thinking, was well, he in the spirit world, in a Mormon temple, or is he in a UFO? And that's when you see these crossovers. You start wondering, like, what's really going on here? It may all be the same thing. So he's in there and then he, he 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 blows my mind with another one. He says, so my mother's showing me this stuff in the, in the building, whatever. And then we go down to the far end of the building and there's this, this long wooden table and there's these crystals on the table. And he describes this crystals with a right, right angle cuts on 45 degree angles on them. And I said, crystals? And you saw crystals? And he goes, yeah, crystals. And he said, if you look at them the right way, he said, my mother said to me, Ron, you don't have a crystal yet. Everybody's got a crystal. You don't have a crystal yet because you're not dead. As soon as you have a crystal, a, uh, your crystal will come out of the out of this wooden table. And he's and and so he said, you look at it at a certain angle and you can see everything in your life. You can see all your past lives and something. She's looking at the crystal. And I'm thinking, hey, that sounds familiar, man. And because Michael Newton, if you do join your souls, 
Journey of Souls talks about you go into the spirit world between and you go into these libraries and you open these books and you're learning about your past life, planning your next life, what you're going to do, what you're going to work on or whatever. You open the book and there's this crystal in there and you look at the crystal at a certain angle and you can see your past lives and you plan your future life with these crystals. That's the same story as Michael Newton with these crystals. And then he says, my dog disappeared in 1972. He said, I never, we moved from California to Utah. I never knew what happened to my dog. And there was a dog, my dog had his own crystal. So I looked at the crystal and I'm looking and I could see my dog's entire life. And I saw that at the, at, when we moved to Utah, the neighbor came, shot the dog, threw it in the back of a, a, a pickup truck, took it to the junkyard and threw it in the junkyard. And then he knew what happened. And I'm going like, that is weird. And then you get the crossover with that is if you've ever seen a UFO documentary called UFO Cover Up Live, this is one at the end of the Reagan administration, which I maintain the CIA was dropping material. This is where the idea of the live alien comes from. This is where the idea of the aviary comes from. Uh, all, all that kind of stuff was dropped into that documentary. And um, it, it was really bad. It was had it, people were reading off the scripts that had this weird music to it. And that's what they wanted. They wanted you to just go, well, I don't know if this is real. And meanwhile, you pick up this information that there's a live alien. That's when the live alien story started to first come out. This is 1988. And in that documentary, uh, uh, Richard Doty, who a lot of people know, plays the Falcon in the aviary. And he's, he's backlit as the Falcon. And he said, the most amazing thing I saw my entire career was the crystal. The aliens had a crystal and they, you could look at it at a certain angle and you could see the history of the world. And I think Linda Howe told the story that she'd been told that they had actually shown the government the crucifixion of Jesus on this crystal. And so you get the crystal again and then you get Bill Moore, who was the big guy in the 1980s with the MJ-12 document and all that sort of stuff with Jamie Chandray. They, get, they had the document mailed to them. They had 24 government sources they were getting material from. And at the very end, I actually got it from uh, uh, a podcaster by Greg Bishop this morning, confirming this. I said, Greg, you you talked to Bill in 19, 2004, and you asked him about what happened to Jamie Chandray. And Jamie Chandray just sort of disappeared off the scene. He was working with Bill and suddenly disappeared. And he said, he said to Bill, he says, you think they showed him the crystal? And then Bill said, yeah, that may have been what happened. That he saw the crystal and that's all he needed. He saw the crystal and he he left the field. And he was a big producer out of uh, not a big producer, but he's a producer in in Los Angeles. So you get the that's the thing. You get these crossovers and you can start going like, are we in a spirit world? Are we in a dream? Are we like this sort of thing? And that's what they can do. They that's why you have dead people aboard the ship. That they're working in this world where everything is just dead people and spirits and and all this kind of stuff. They're just on a different frequency. And that's why when you leave, when you get abducted, people will talk about the fact. There's the big dispute about, is there actually an abduction? Yeah, there's an abduction. There's an experience. But is it a physical experience? Nobody ever sees anybody being abducted. It's always a personal experience. And the question is, are they pulling your astral body out of, and, and using your astral body so that when you when you get on, because the minute you, you leave your body, you start getting effects that you see in UFO, is that there's no time and space. Only when you're in the physical world is there time and space. Once you leave and then you start getting this thing where Chris Bledsoe said, I was there and I was gone for four hours. And it, it, it to me, it was like I was they were with me for four months. It was that long. And and so you see that that thing with time and space disappear where Ron Johnson said when they talked to him about flying the craft, they said, where would you like to go, Ron? And then Ron says, I'd like to see the Milky Way from a distance. And they said, Ron, OK, it's within you. Go within yourself. And this is this whole idea. Is there actually time and space? Go within yourself. It's within you. Same as remote viewing. You're not going anywhere. You're going inside yourself and everything is within you and you're just reading it. So like, hang on, I'm flying to the site right now. I'll be at the remote viewing site. Hang on. It's like you're instantly at the site 
and you get the stuff where people, when when they have the experience, they can three hundred sixty see in three hundred sixty degrees. You you see people on board the ship. They said, "I can see in three hundred sixty degrees." Well, that's out of body experience. The same thing is that they claim the same thing. So you get these these um, situations where Ron says uh, they say, "Okay, it's going to take about one second, Ron. Go within yourself, and as soon as you can imagine it, your mind's eye will go there." And he said, "Boom!" He said, "The window." He looked out the window. There's a Milky Way off in the distance, and it was just unbelievable. So if that was true, that he went. 70 or 80,000 light years in one second, there's something wrong with our idea of time and space. And that's what Gary Nolan says. Gary Nolan says, I'm not interested in the 95% that fall within the curve. I'm interested in the outliers, he calls them, the 5% outside the curve. Why is that outside the curve? And that's the importance of paranormal phenomena is if the world worked the way people say it worked, there would be no paranormal phenomena. The paranormal phenomena tell you there's something wrong with the way you're seeing stuff. And that's what the Nobel Prize is. If you can figure out why that anomaly is happening, it's worth a Nobel Prize. And that that's the importance of the UFO phenomena. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're, ne they're never going to give you the answer. They're always going to keep the answer outside your 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 uh, ability. Even uh, Jim Semyon gets upset. He said they, they just they tease you. They lie to you. Uh, but they'll never take you home to the family. That That's not part of the plan. But you can say that about God. So where was when when Jim Semivan got abducted or whatever happened? Where was God? Why didn't he get off his fat rear end and, and go help him? Or what about his spirit guy? Why didn't he do something? Because that's not how it works. It's not Santa Claus. It's not like they're going to drop down here and give us technology and stuff like that. They're trying to get you to wake up. They're trying to move you down the road. It's up to us to figure out. They're not here to give us anything. So they're always going to keep it outside our 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 reach. And that's why I'm saying there's going to be no disclosure. Once you figure it out, like everything else, like the, the the amoeba, once you figure it out, it gets more complex and more complex. And there's even these things, if you follow Donald Hoffman, who who does this whole thing about reality, that you can never, ever see reality. Everything you see is actually just a desktop icon. This table is not solid. The world is not flat. The sun does not go around the earth. When we're doing perception, this per I perceive this, I perceive that. Not right. Even I go back, we don't realize how immature we are in terms of knowledge it was only a hundred years ago 1920 there was a major debate that took place in the united states and it was between the guy who ran the harvard observatory and a guy by the name of curtis and they were arguing about is there more than one galaxy and the guy that ran the harvard observatory said no there's not only one galaxy all those other things you're seeing those are just dust clouds inside the milky way there's only one galaxy and the other guy curtis said no no there's multiple galaxies but we're at the center of this of this galaxy so they were both wrong and you've got to realize it was only in 1911 where they did the gold foil experiment when we suddenly realized in 1911 that there was everything was space until then, every thought was just, atoms were solid little uh, billiard balls. So that's the thing is, is we're gradually unraveling the fact that we haven't got a clue what's going on. Anybody says that they, the government knows, they haven't got a clue. I can almost guarantee you they, they, they may have little bits and pieces like the portal. The portal story, they know. They know this is this is how they move around. This is They move from place to place. That's why they went to Skinwalker Ranch. Every time I've done a portal story, I wrote a book on portals, UFOs and portals at Mount Shasta. Uh, and following what Ron Pendolfi was saying, because Ron kept leaking this story that there was a portal, that this is how this thing works. It's not, if you're talking anti-gravity, he calls them, look, loons, crooks, and worse. It's all just scams. It's all just trying to get money. The, the, that's not how it works. It's this portal thing. And at one point when he didn't realize, well, he was being filmed. He knew he was being filmed, but he didn't realize he was going to get out on the internet that I was going to get a hold of it. His wife asked him, she said, footman, she calls him, he, she's the princess, he's the footman. You know, they play these little games. She says, footman, what do you say? He said, people have always wondered what it's like to go in the next world. 
Next time, John, he points over to this guy beside him, John, this, this guy's cleaning his glasses, friend of his from university in, his, in California days. He said, next time John goes to the desert, a number of us here will go into the next world and come back again. This is the guy that briefs the president of the United States. This is the guy that said the president can't be a player. We tell the president what we need, we need, what he needs to know and hope we don't have to put him down. This is like a high-level guy who actually asked about, intel, about briefings. And he said, I've, I, I, when senators and congressmen ask me, I tell them, yeah, I got the keys. I can give you the keys. But they just tell you where the location is. You are responsible and you can get in a lot of trouble. I can give you the keys or you can let me handle the keys. And he said, most senators and congressmen say, oh, you handle the keys. That they, they just, there's so much risk in handling this very highly classified material. So that's the whole thing. Is it's, it's this very high level thing. And the question is, what are they trying to hide? And it's, number one, I say it's this ignorance. Uh, number two, it, it's this idea that they realize that you can have tremendous technology if you can figure out this thing and use it for weapons. That's all they're interested in. They're really interested in the, in the saving the world or free energy. And they're interested in uh, use it for weapons and then we'll spin it down like we did with, with GPS. And the third is this whole idea that if you're in the American culture and you're going to put out the fact that they have literal contempt for, for, for capitalism, they have no interest in capitalism at all. They're preaching exactly opposite. That's not something you want to put out. You don't want to be the president. You're going to be standing up to make a message like that. So those, I think, the things are that, that they're hiding, uh, mostly the ignorance that they really don't know. And we we held we talked to Dr. Eric Walker, and he's true. When the more I listen to this guy, the more I think he was true. What he said to us in this question, you got to ask yourself. Everybody's got to ask themselves. He said to us, "Why should we change the rules and the regulations to satisfy your curiosity?" Because he was an old guy. We said, "Come on, you're an old guy. You you know what happened. You you were there when the cover up started." And you knew all the MJ-12 guys. You knew everything and stuff like that. And and he basically confirmed, yeah, he knew it. And he said, I was at this briefing for Ray, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base with the, with the crafts and the bodies. I was there. So what? That's what he said. So what? And it's like, well, yeah, so what? It's the best important. And we're trying to convince this guy to talk. And that's what he said. Why should we change the rules and regulations to satisfy your curiosity? And as soon as he said that, it was 1990. As soon as he said that, I said, there's rules and regulations. This is legal. And that's what I've been telling people over and over again. This is legal. People say, oh, it's illegal. It's a rogue program. The, the Congress doesn't have anything. I said, no, no, it's a legal program. The, the, this is being run legally. It's just a very, very strict compartmentalization and stuff like that. And, and so that's what he said. And then the other thing he said that people refuse to answer is he said, let me ask you a question. So when you figure it out, what are you going to do with it? And most people, it's like... <laughs> do a podcast it's like there's nothing it's like when they, when they disclosed that you that there was a ufo program in 1975 what did people do with it nothing they just asked the next question oh so where are they from and it's like it's just curiosity that's what he said why should we change the rules and regulations to satisfy your curiosity and in the end that's what it is and that's what bush supposedly told jimmy carter curiosity is not sufficient need to know just because people want to know doesn't mean they need to be told. They don't need how to build atomic bomb, whatever, because they're looking at it as this technology that if you put your cards down, it's a game of bluff. If you're, you're playing poker and you put your cards down and Vladimir Putin goes, oh, thanks. That's the card I need. I, I'm decided I'm not going to put my cards down. You, you may put down the cards that the other side needs. And so because that's the way the government looks, you got an eight hundred and eighty six billion dollar defense budget. That's a lot of fear. That's a lot of enemies out there. It's like everybody, everybody's an enemy. Every, and that's how you, you get the budget. 
So you're not going to you're not going to give it up and give it to the to the Russians because you know the Russians are working on it. You know the Chinese are working on it. There's these stories about stuff that they've developed from from the technology, and and that's what it is because it's it's the military that control it. All the highest secrecy stuff is always going to be weapon stuff. That's where all the money goes, and that's why everybody's is going in on this thing because originally it was they were trying to get the government to disclose because it was interesting. at government it's like. We, we don't care about that stuff. And then it was Leslie Kane, 2010, when she wrote a book. Leslie Kane said, oh, it's a threat to airline traffic and everything. <laughs> but if you say, oh, man, these aliens, they may eat us. I mean, they, they, you know, they're interfering with these these ships and stuff like that. And they're doing our nuclear weapons. They're saying, all our nuclear weapons. That was like 50, 60 years ago. When I asked uh, Robert Hastings, I said, Robert, when was the last uh, incident with a UFO over a nuclear weapon silo? He said, 2010 so it doesn't happen anymore it doesn't happen but we're, we're hyping it up because who, if you've got 886 billion dollar budget who's going to miss three or four billion dollars everybody walks out with a suitcase full of money that's what it's all about and and we're saving the world everything's are saving the world we're going to make these weapons and we're going to uh, develop this kind of stuff and the the intelligence is is working the the opposite way they're they're just trying to get across this message of the idea of oneness and the fact that that it we're all connected and that we're on the verge of destroying the world and and the ecology and the weapons and they're they don't like the nuclear weapons it affects not only us but the rest of the universe and all the other vibrations out there and stuff like that so that's basically i guess uh to sum that up and if you've got some other angle you want to go or expand on that my hope is that this technology and knowledge becomes open sourced so that we can use things like free energy and and uh, embrace these concepts like oneness that you're talking about and sort of get rid of these old institutions that we've been living by for the last thousands of years that kind of oppress people in a way. Um, and it seems like the, the governments, plural, are probably trying to stop that from happening because of fear of you know, foreign militaries and things like that. Um, do you think that we will ever reach a point where uh, that kind of exists or what I talked about, how it being open source and things like that? Yeah. Even the, the idea, people bring up this free energy idea. I say, since when did the sun charge us for energy? It's all free energy. It's who controls the method of delivering the energy. So the same people that control the hydroelectric plants and the gas stuff is all the super rich. The, the, the That's the one world government. It's, well, it's the one world government. It's like, yeah, we still want this one world government run by the American corporations. And, and all energy is free. But if you have a system, these are the guys that are developing the technology. Do you think they're going to give it away? They're going to have the machine and you're going to pay for energy the same way you're paying for it now. There's, the energy is free. It's the people that control the energy. So... Uh, the, the, and, and again, the disclosure is that people think there's a, a they, everybody thinks this, uh, what's it called? Presentism, that our parents were stupid. They listened to dumb music and they had some pretty stupid ideas. And our grandparents, they were like totally out to lunch. They had no idea. But we got it all figured out. It's this presentism. We got it all figured out. And what we think that we're making this big mistake in ufology is we think, oh, we got, we got it all figured out. We just need the one more piece. The government has got the one piece that put it together. And I'll guarantee you, there's like a million pieces. We have no clue what's going on. It just gets more complex. And it's this spiritual thing. If it turns out like, you know, how are we going to uh, spread that around? Uh, are the the guys that, because Danny Sheehan points this out, you know, the, the, the whole people are running this thing that are, that are trying to get control of this are the people that want uh, total uh, dominance. 
for, for the world so that, you know, 5% of the population can still control 40% of the world's natural resources and stuff like that. That, that That's what it's about, that they're, 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 they're not about to give this, this stuff out. And, um, if the technology, I don't think it's going to be, it's like people think there's this engine. And if you look at James Lukatsky, James Lukatsky said that um, they were inside the craft and he said it didn't have any engines. It didn't have any stuff like that. And you hear this over and over again from people. There's, there's no stuff. What if it's a spiritual technology? What if it's just your mind? You're using your mind. Cause that's what I did when I, when I did the book, um, uh, uh, um, the sky pilot book. And I can't remember what I called it. Um, where I talked 36 people who flown the craft and they all told basically the same story. They tell the story that you're on the craft and there's somebody behind you and they're telling you what to do. And you can't really see who they are, whether they're humans or aliens and people are guessing, I think they're grays or whatever behind me. And uh, they're, they ask, where do you want to go? And, uh, or the U S air force retired Colonel from Los Angeles said these two, these, these people are behind him and they said, okay, go ahead and do it. And he said, I don't know what to do. And they said, you know what to do, just do it. And then he sees this panel on the side, side of the craft. He goes and puts his hands on this panel. He said, holy cow. He said, suddenly he's flying the, the flying saucer. And that's the thing. The craft is alive. The craft is conscious. You become one of the craft. You touch the craft. You become, you, you make contact with the craft. Whatever you think is what the craft does. And you can go wherever you want. You can go from here to the other side of the universe instantaneously, just like that. And it's all this consciousness stuff. And um, so, and, and yet you have the, the thing where it's almost like the 200,000 sightings are all different. When I heard that, I think it was most, one of the most amazing things I'd heard. And that comes to the idea that it, it's, it's a mind thing. Why are all 200,000 sightings different? Because they're all individuals. They're 200,000 individuals who are seeing it. And we're part of the thing. We think there's an out there, out there. And John Wheeler, who's the physicist, the intellectual successor to Einstein at Princeton, said there is no out there, out there. It's a participatory universe. It's happening inside your head. And that's this, this idea. It's all one thing. It's inside your head. And we have this idea that there's these crafts that are coming to us and they're, they're, they're separate from us. And w w these, these people describe the fact that when you realize it's all one thing, uh, you, you touch it, but you're not, nobody touches the same thing. So you have the 200,000 different sightings and you have a, so you have a, a, a basic idea. There's UFOs. They're all different. Then you have the crafts and there's 36 people flying the crafts or more than that now. But the thing that's different is nobody touches the same thing. When I realized that, I went, wow, that is significant. One person touched a ball. This U.S. Air Force retired colonel put his hand on a panel. Chris Bledsoe, there was a, they, they put, had a beehive in the middle of the, the, built, the, the room. He put his hand on this beehive type thing. Everybody touched something different. It was a different story. But it was basically the same story. They could see in 360 degrees. They could go instantly wherever they wanted to, to, to think and stuff like that. And that's the thing. So technology may not be physical at all. We're always getting dragged into this perception that there's some little engine and, and the Santa Claus is going to give us this engine and we're all going to, you know, have more toys and stuff like that. And I don't think that's what's going on. I think this is like a, it's almost like a, um, a spiritual thing where it's, it's, uh, they're, they're pretending to be aliens, but they're not aliens. And they're, they're from a higher uh, thing. They're trying to give us hints as to what's going on. They've always been here. In fact, the one, and I've done this a lot of times. I'll ask experiencers because I deal with a lot of experiencers. Say, hey, next time you see the guy, can you ask him if he's an alien? Ask him if he's an AT. Nobody's ever got an answer back yes. They'll say, you wouldn't understand. Uh, you know, how can we tell you where we're from if you don't understand where you're from? And, and they'll, they'll play all these little games or whatever. But the, the one that was these were called the beings. They're called CHON, C-H-O-N. So carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen are the four components to make 
that make biological life. And they didn't want to be known as aliens or anything. They, they, they just block things. They got no faces, no eyes and whatever. And they just call themselves the beings or whatever. And the telepathic, the one woman's getting it. The other woman can see them, these little tiny things running around. So they, they said, oh, the beings want to interview. And I thought I had four experiences where, where people, experiencers say, hey, my beings want to talk to you. And I go, what, really? And I get these messages. So when I heard that the beings wanted to be interviewed by me, I said, yeah, yeah, sure, bring them on. So then the woman goes into trance and I'm talking to these beings. And of course, the first question is, so are you alien? Are you, are you extraterrestrials? And the answer was beautiful. It's like, would you like us to be extraterrestrials? We could do that if you want. We could even take you to our planet. But no, we're not extraterrestrials. We've always been here. You're the visitor. And it's like, then you start hearing this now. We've always been here. They're always here. It's like, it's, it's, we're all vibrating at a different level. So the people who can, can trans channel or uh, have out of body experiences, all they're doing is changing vibration and they pick up a different signal. They can pick up stuff almost like being in the water. We're in the dark of the water in, in the bottom of the ocean. It's all dark and we can't see anything. And we could just sort of hear things and we were making up stories and we we're just perceiving or whatever. And then somebody comes along and suddenly they can channel or they can, they can, uh, they have an out-of-body experience or they have a near-death experience. And suddenly they float up into the water and they, they get the higher you get in the water, the closer you are to the light and you can see stuff. And then they're going, holy cow, there's fish. And, and then they float back down to the bottom again and say, hey, I was up there, there's fish, there's all fish. And they go, ah, baloney. And that's all it is, is this vibration. We're moving into this different vibration and they come down into our vibration and what you see is affected by your belief system. No matter what anybody says, I guarantee I'm going to be right on this. Because people will say, oh, there's the greys and the greys are these evil guys and they're taking over the world and all this kind of stuff. I say, hey, there was no greys before 1961. I'll guarantee you, there was none. You're just making making crap up if you think that you was, there's no greys before 1961. They were human type beings or whatever. And I say, if you if you believe that there's this greys is the dominant thing or whatever, what you have to do is go to the Mission Rama. Mission Rama were the guys who were opening these portals. And I heard about this and I went to Mount Shasta and they had this event that happened over my head. It wasn't a portal event, but uh, I started to believe these guys are the real deal. They can they, they do this automatic writing and they get two messages. Two people get messages, tell them where the craft's going to be. And what they do is they raise their vibration. So for two days, you go to Mount Shasta, you sit 4,000 feet up on the, on the sand plants of Mount Shasta and you do oming and meditation, and yoga. And it's like, oh, my God, I'd like to get out of here. Like, oh, I can't take this. It's just like torture. I mean, just and they're all Latinos and they're all speaking Spanish and, they're, and it's all very religious. And it's they're trying to raise the vibration high up. So and then the beings lower their vibration and they meet in the middle. And that's the idea of hiding your vibration. And I say anybody who thinks that the grace is the story. I defy you. There's 25,000 Mission Rama people around the world. They have these groups all over the place. Basically, started in Peru, but it was spread around the world. I said, I defy you to find any Mission Rama event where a gray or a reptilian or a mantid showed up. They don't, because that's low vibration. It, what you see, and that's what John Mack said at the very end of his life. He said, starting to wonder, he said, hey, he said, maybe grays are people who are in, uh, are, 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 troubled and they're 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 fear fear uh reptilians i know for sure and then you have the people who are very sort of religious who will talk about the the uh the beings of light and that's the most common seen thing so you have these different types of beings and i say it has to do with the person so mission rama they they are seeing these beings and the beings are 10 feet tall they have beautiful hair they look like came out of hollywood they always refer to michael michael phelps the swimmer every time they say i said what do you look like he said oh he was all muscular looked like a Michael Phelps, the swimmer, and he had this tight uniform on. He looked very stern, and the women looked beautiful and stuff. It's like the 1950s. 
And that's a different vibration. They're getting one type of being. These people are getting a different type of being. And that's what I say. I say all beings are different. People say, oh, the grays, they're all like the same. I said, baloney. Take Whitley Strieber's gray, put it beside Betty, Stre Betty Hill's gray, put it beside uh, Betty Andreessen's gray. They all look different. You put it beside Antarell or uh, LB or any of these people. You, they, they look sort of the same, but they're, they're not even close. Once you start putting them side by side. And so that's the thing. We, we have the experience that, that we think that there's a separation out there. There's a simple thing and we're all seeing the same thing. And if you follow the Skinwalker Ranch thing, Comb Kelleher, who was the manager of the program there, told this story, which seals the deal. He said they all had, I guess these were scientists. He doesn't say who the six people were, but the six people are on there and they have Gen 3 glasses. So they have the $12,000 binoculars with the, with the night vision. And he said, this, I, this, this object comes over the ridge and goes flying right by them. And they all go with the glasses. And they watch this thing fly by. End of the night, they all wrote down what they saw. Everybody saw something different. One saw a triangle, one saw a saucer, one saw a ball of light. They all saw something different. Six different versions of the same thing. And they're all looking with the Gen 3 glasses. And that's the whole thing. we got to realize we're part of what we're seeing. We think there's an independent out there, out there, and the people are seeing the same thing. When you start looking at sightings, you start realizing, like, no, the, the, the people are part of the experience they're having. That's a very interesting way to look at it. And it's different from what other people talk about, how we, our consciousness is actually affecting the thing that we're seeing itself. Um, yeah, we like to play the victim. The, the, the 21st century is the victim role. You know, rich people who are crying and whining and, and, and stuff like that. And uh, it's easy to play the victim role of, you know, blaming, the, you know, the mother-in-law and the dog ate the homework and stuff like that, instead of realizing that we may be part of, of, of what's actually going on here, that, the, that um, the, the question comes down to why do some people have good experiences, why not have bad experiences? Same with near-death experiences. There's the 10% that have the bad near-death experiences. And I, and I looked at it because I knew that's going to be one of the secrets. And what they said is the people who have the bad near-death experiences are the same people who are trying, they won't let go. They're trying to control a situation and they have these bad near-death experiences, which happened in my psilocybin. I had maybe five, five really bad experiences. I remember that, that so it was like, and it was like hell. There was, there's no other way to describe it. It was like, it happened. And um, I was in this sort of a hell type situation and I'm, I'm just like desperate. And, and then I'm thinking, Oh my God, you know, this is, this is going to go on forever. I'm in hell. And it's like, and then I thought to myself, Oh, okay. I took the, the psilocybin. I have nobody to blame, but myself, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way it's going to be. Oh my God, it was gone. <laughs> it's like gone instantly. And then you'd be in this utopia thing. And then I said, so then the next time I said, okay, not going to fool me next time, boy, I'm going to know, I'm going to know it's, it's, it's just, they're just doing this. They're just doing it. And they want to kill your ego. They want, to kill, they want to shut your ego down. That's what it's about. It's shutting down that signal from the left brain, shut, shut down the ego. And then once you got the ego out of the way, the noise is gone and you got the signal and you can move into the field. And that's why they wake you up. That's why I say, why, why do aliens come and wake you up in the middle of the night? Hey, 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 Grant, beep, 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 beep. wake up, wake up, wake up. And then they wake you up and go, oh my God. And then say, okay, he's ready to go. Because what they're doing, trying to get you to dissociate. They're trying to scare the living daylights out. You dissociate and say, okay, he's ready to go now. And, and you can pull him. So um, when I had the second one, when I said, okay, I'm not going to fall for it. I know it's only going to last a couple of seconds. Just surrender, just surrender and, and it'll be over. And then suddenly I'm in it again. It's like, oh my God, it's like, I'm in this thing. And it's like, it's just horrible, you know? And then, and then I go, oh, you know, okay. 
I did it. I mean, it was all, all you know, uh, I have nobody to blame but myself. Boom, it's gone again. I go, oh, shit, they got me for a second time. I had, I fell for it the second time. And they, somehow they can make you believe it's going to go on forever. They get just total control. And so in the beginning of the psilocybin book, I have the very first page, the whole page. I have one thing, and it applies to UFOs that applies across the field. Surrender is the rule. Believe me, surrender is the only rule. It's, and as long as you've got the ego in the way, and that's what we do. It's like, oh, I, I'm being afflicted. Oh, terrible. People are picking on me. Stuff like that. And it's the ego is just is, is, is in charge of the whole thing. And that's where we've got to get away from that and realize we're part of the, the, the situation. And then all the, the bad stuff's going to go away. Once we realize we're part of this thing, then you can you can get the, the sort of the ego out of the way and pick up the signal. As long as we're playing the victim role, we, we're really good at it in, in modern society, especially when you've got rich people. You think, you know, if you were a kid, you know, in a cage on the southern border or if you were one of the 64 billion refugee, million refugees wandering the world with no place to go or some kid in, in Calcutta making nothing where you try to sell something in a junkyard to find food for tomorrow and stuff like that. We, these people are all, you know, sort of content and we're whining about we need more and more stuff and that's what happens in the ufo field is we've turned this into santa claus when are we going to get some free technology we want we want uh, free cars we want free we don't go fast and we want all this kind of stuff and it's all about getting some more crap and that's not that's not what they're here to do there this is the whole idea when you look at that the beings you see that there is nothing physical about a being if you go back to go to uh back to um david jacobs David Jacobs talks about the being. He does a whole chapter. And I was going to write a book called Extraterrestrial or Maybe Not. And that's what they're now saying. Saying, oh, no, we don't think it's extraterrestrial. The high-level people are saying it's extraterrestrial. It's like, wake up. I mean, we told you this a long time ago. It's like David Jacobs said, if you remember the mind scan thing where the, where the gray goes really close to the person's eyes and they look in their eyes and they can read their mind. And, and so every time they would do the mind scan, they're, they're this far away. David Jacobs would say, is he breathing? And the person would go, no, he's not breathing. If he's not breathing, it's not a biological being. And you start looking and you say, is it really a biological being? You start looking and you say, uh, people people have the experience. They say, I'm on board a ship. I say, hey, so the being on the ship? Yeah. You ask a question. What? Do you have any clothes on? Yeah. I never thought of that. No, I didn't have any clothes on. Go, you didn't think that was kind of strange? The alien didn't have any clothes on? Like ghosts wear clothes. Why wouldn't the alien have any clothes on? <laughs> Do you have a belly button? No, I didn't have a belly button. Do you have a nipples? No, I didn't have nipples. And then you start looking, and you just, they got no bone, they got no muscle structure. Uh, they don't eat, they don't drink, they don't sleep, they don't breathe. And you start wondering, like, what is this really? Is this actually an alien? So that's when uh, there was one Sherry Wild. I don't know if you were interviewed, but Sherry Wild, <laughs> she's she's got a story that that was a best-selling book, and now it's going to be a movie. And and she had the thing where. Um, she was going to put the book out and her daughters had a court injunction to stop her from publishing the book. And she took it to the publisher and the, and the publisher said, Hey, you say, hey, Da, the name, her being's name was Da. She says, Hey, Da says he's from Andromeda. She said, Yeah, he's from Andromeda. He said, But she said he was a Zeta. Yeah, he's a Zeta. He looks like a Zeta. He said, Well, if he's a Zeta, he's from Z Reticula. He can't be from Andromeda. He said, Really? He said, Yeah, go back and ask him. So the so next time Da comes, she says, What's going on here? Are you actually an alien? And his quote was, no, that would not best describe who I actually am. I'm on a mission through the cosmos for the creator. And then she said, so why do you come as this ugly looking gray thing? She said, ugly? You think we look ugly? And she said, yeah. She said, and, 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 you, and you scared the living daylights out of me. 
And and every time I see you, you scare the living daylight out of me. And he said, you ever look in the mirror, Sherry? He says, what do you mean? He says, when you look in the mirror, when you, when you give me that big smile with those big teeth, we think you're going to eat us. And and that's when you start when you can start confronting these beings. That's when they, they break down. No, that's what I said to the the, the being these be, these beings in Great Britain. Are you actually an alien? Or the the other one um, that's going to skip my mind, um, where someone was confronted them. Uh, but no, they, that's the thing is when you when you actually confront them, then the the you start to realize. Oh, it was uh, Yossi Ronan is a, a an experiencer out of uh, Israel. And he had an experience in Los Angeles in the 1980s with these green beings. They look like greys, except they're green. And he said that they told him, when we come into your world, we take on a body to operate. We don't need a body. We don't need to do that. You can do the same thing. You just don't realize it. And that's the whole thing. They're taking on these, these structures and they can, they can morph. They can change. Even there's uh, one of the first uh, abductees was this um, Sparks. Uh, I can't remember his first name. He was a client of Bud Hopkins. Um, Jim Sparks and Jim Sparks talked about the fact he, he was the one that brought up the idea of screen imaging that they can screen images, whatever they want, deers, owls, whatever they want to screen images. And so he, he was, he was really angry. He, was, he didn't want to be part of this thing at all. And he was always trying to beat, you know, hit them and destroy them and whatever and, and fight with them and, and stuff. And they were trying to train him to do different things. And he said, um, uh, he said at one point, he said, the guy appeared as a, a guy in a military outfit, uh, like a human being. He said, yeah, just screen imaging. You're not fooling me at all. He said, fact, got the wrong uniform on. He said, I'm like that. The uniform changed to the right uniform instantaneously in his head. And the being picked it up. And, and that's the whole thing. So they can screen images where they want. They can do whatever they want. It's, it's not a physical type thing. We even think we're physical. But in, in the end, uh, when you go back to the quantum physics guys, they basically said consciousness is primary. And that goes to the idea that consciousness creates matter. That there is no particle does not come into physical space until it's observed, then it takes on a physical form. Until then, it's a wave potential. It's all consciousness. And the the, the idea that I'm per progressing now, uh, which was actually given uh, number one by uh, Michael Newton with these 7,000 people that he regresses into the state between lives. Uh, they all tell this story. And a guy by the name of Mark Sims had a being that he had was on a CE5 event with Stephen Greer. And he has this encounter with this being who stays with him for 13 days. And Tejabar was the guy, his beings. And the being said he was actually from Earth 4,000 years ago or whatever. But Tejabar gives him the whole thing. And the idea is that that everything is, is, is an evolution, but it's an evolution through, we go up, 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 up until the point where we're creating galaxies. And that God did not create the heaven and the earth. God created the sparks of the divine. And we're the ones creating the the universe. It's all made out of out of uh, consciousness. And the higher you go up, the more you create. So you have beings that are actually creating galaxies. And in Michael Newton's stories, he has these people between lives. He said, "What are you doing?" He said, I'm "Making a rock." He said, "You're making a rock." He said, "Well, I'm not. I tried to do plants. I can't do plants yet." And that's this whole thing that that's what beings do when you're when you're not in the physical world. You're making these things, and that we're creating the universe. We're creating these these. Uh, different things and so it's a it's an internal loop that we're building the world and it's a loop where we feed in we feed in the the universe gets more complex and more complex and more elaborate and and that's what we're doing that's why there's never going to be a disclosure because when you get to to the level of confirming that these crafts are whatever they are then you have higher level beings that don't even have crafts 
and higher level beings and higher level beings. And, and it, it just gets more and more complex. And the, the fact is you can never see reality that we know absolutely for sure. You're always looking at something in between. That is not really the reality. You think you're playing, you're driving a car in a, in a video game, but you're not driving a car in a video game. The reality is way in behind that. You, you just, they give you enough, these, these things that you see to get you through the physical world so you can adapt. And that's why you have a left brain and stuff like that. But the, that's what the, the, this whole phenomenon is about, is teaching you how does reality actually work. It's not a physical world the way we think it is. Uh, time and space are not. Like, there's, there may not be any time and space. There may not be any physical world. There, 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 all these things. That we, this is wrong. That's wrong. And that's where people talk about skepticism. Oh, I'm skeptical. And say like the idea that Descartes had about skepticism was not be skeptical of new ideas. It was be skeptical of the crap you learned in school. Descartes actually said at one point, I may have to dump everything I've ever learned. That's where the problem is. Or Mark Twain says, it's not the things you don't, it's not the things you don't know that get you in trouble. It's the things you know that just ain't so. We're making assumptions, this and this, they're ETs, they're physical crafts, they're this, they're that. Wrong, 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 wrong. Making all these wrong assumptions. And we build these wrong assumptions, we build this worldview, and then and then it's very hard to shift it. And that's why instead of using the, the the rational analytical brain that will do that, it will take perceptions and it'll put things together and make a this very elaborate story that sort of makes sense. What you got to do is you got to get past the physical, the left brain. You got to get people who have shut down the left brain, gotten in the field, got the material like J.K. Rawlings, when she brought back Harry Potter. You're in the field, you got the material, you brought it back. And, and that's the process we've got to learn is to listen to these people who've been in the field. That's why experience is so important. If you've got people, and 80% of them said they've had out-of-body experiences. That's kind of important. 37% of experiencers say they've had a near-death experience. So is it random? This is what they asked me. Is it random world or is it is it a chance world? Uh, is it random or is it pattern? So if you have a, an experiencer and you got abducted, what's the chances you got abducted? And then 37% of those people had a near-death experience. They seem to be random events that are happening to these people. Maybe they're not random events. Maybe you plan to have a near-death experience and maybe you plan to, to have an abduction experience to learn something. And we, so it's to get these people who are in the field who pull this material back and tell you this is how it works. It's one, it's all this, this kind of stuff. And um, we're making the mistake of using uh, educated people. Like we, people will say, oh, these scientists. That's what, no, I, I was, a, I was a, worked as a bartender at the University of Manitoba. With, with academics. I've never been intimidated by academics because I know what academics are like. They're very, very specialized. Same as the, you hear about this stuff of the, the the black world of UFOs, where it's all compartmentalized and nobody's talking to anybody. That's what academia is like. Uh, I was in, I had my, my office was in the chemistry building. And uh, I know that the chemistry people never went into the physics building. They never went into the engineering building. They went into biology, but they were chemists. So they hung up with chemists. They ate with chemists. And they had this very specialized, they're, they're chemists, and then they're biochemists. And then they they do one little uh, thing on one little piece of the biochemistry for their PhD. And so they're very, very specialized. But because you know that, doesn't mean you know anything about UFOs. And I used to argue when I was the bartender with the head of the deans, uh, three deans. And one of the deans used to like to debate with me about, and he was a head of, head of plant science. He was a dean of plant science. And at one point, he's arguing against, hey, you're a plant scientist. You know how to make a rose. What do you know about UFOs? He said, nothing. I said, yeah, exactly. And that's all they, so people say, I, I'm, a, I'm a scientist. No, you're not. You're a chemist who's using the scientific method. And, or you're a biologist who's using the scientific method. You, you've got a very specialized thing, but it doesn't mean you know anything about it. And we sort of say, because we, people say, I'm a scientist. I've got a PhD in whatever. And then they know everything about everything. 
And that's where we make this thing with the rational analytical. I cannot argue you. I cannot debate you and stuff like that. And we're using this rational analytical stuff. But that's all garbage because it's all just perceptions and perceptions are always wrong. Whether it's the flat earth, the sun going around the earth, the, the earth is not moving. Uh, things are solid. We just make mistake, 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 mistake. And you got to go to people who aren't using the left brain rational analytical and the people who are getting this material because the materials on the field. If you get... Uh, savants is one of the things I say you got to watch. You can take Savants, this guy out of, um, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes, 1983, out of New York City. And this is a uh, uh, guy, um, and they asked him, they said, hey, so what's, uh, they would ask him questions like the, the July the 11th in year one, he said, it's a Tuesday. And then he would uh, give him all these dates. And they would even ask him questions like, what are the next 12 years that Easter will fall on a April the 1st, Nico? And he named the 12 years when it would fall. And he uh, never wrong. Not two out of three. Never wrong. And then he'd say, hey, George, how do you do that? And he'd go, pretty good. I can do that. Isn't it? Pretty good. But he's just fun. He can't batten his shirt. He can't take care of himself. He's in a home or whatever. And that's the thing. Where is he getting it from? Because then they'd say to him, they'd say, hey, George, what's two times three? And he'd go, that'd be seven. He said, okay, what's five times seven? Would that be 50? Has, he, so he's not calculating. And the question is, where's that material coming from? And that proves to you, there's stuff in the field. And he has this debility. His left brain, autistics have left brain shutdown. And because the signal is not getting all the signal, he's able to go in the field and pull the material out. We can do the same thing. And that's what we got to learn from these experiencers is that they're getting material. They're talking to the intelligence. And you start seeing these patterns. If you've seen the free survey, I mean, incredible patterns that you see. And they say, oh, they didn't take the data right. And you start making all these excuses why all these things are coming out. But the beings are indirectly telling people on in, in, in experiences. And when you start listening to the experiencers, that's what, what Ron Pendolfi, the CIA guy said. Because we cannot control the phenomena, we watch those that the phenomena affects. Or Chris Bledsoe, if you followed that whole story. Uh, Tim Taylor from, from NASA comes to him and he says, hey, or Chris says, what, what are you doing here? You, you're here and uh, defense intelligence here and the Pentagon's here and, and CIA's here and my kids are scared to live and die. So my kids are getting ridiculed in school. I, I can't stand it. Like, what are you doing on my property? And he said, well, Chris, he said, it appears they like you, Chris. They're talking to you. Chris, they don't like us. They don't talk to us. So we're here to find out what are they telling you. That's the whole point. You, you got to go to the people who are talking to the experience and, and trust that they are because you start seeing these patterns and you start getting the answers. And the answers aren't that, you know, we need more stuff because if you look on a craft, there's no nothing physical. You say, oh, they're going to hear to steal our gold. <laughs> Aliens do not have rings. They do not have gold. Uh, stuff. They don't have jewelry, nothing. They don't have crystal chandeliers. They don't have leather furniture. They have nothing. It's sparse. It's it's nothing. They're just basically working all day long with this kind of stuff. And we, we've got this sort of thing, and we're going to have a better world, and we're going to have you know more toys and better toys and stuff like that. That's not what this is about. It's and If you listen to the experiences, that's, I think we'd start to learn. Is it possible that someone could be an experiencer and not remember it? And if so, how? what would be the signs of that? Well, they, there's stuff that they don't allow you to remember, but that it goes across, again, to all paranormal phenomena. I mean, uh, if you take a Michael Newton, Michael Newton was having these people, he'd regress them to their past lifetime, and then he'd take them into the spirit world. And then he would, he would first thing he'd say is, so take a look at yourself. What do you look like? Oh, I'm a ball of light. What color are you? And there was this level that you would have the white, and and then it would go red, and then it would go green, then blue, then purple was the highest level. So if you see someone who's a blue or whatever, you say, hey, 
nice to talk to your spirit guide because that's a very high level. And what he's trying to do is get as high information as he can, or he get a red. I think he said five reds in his entire career of 7,000 people. Five people are red. And they say, can I talk to your spirit guide? Because he's trying to find out the answer. How does reality work? How does the, how do people come in? How do souls built and all this kind of stuff? And uh, he would ask them. And then, then when they start bucking, they wouldn't tell him. You don't, you don't need to know that. This person doesn't need to he, He'd call it these blocks. And he'd try to figure out some way to get around the blocks. He could get the answer and stuff like that. So in the spirit world, they're blocking. And the, the beings are blocking as well. You don't need to know that. And uh, you'll, you'll see that is, is they, they're talking to you at whatever level you're at, that um, we sort of want everything now. And uh, so, no, you, you're never going to get the, the answer. That's what Jim Semivan said. Uh, they'll tease you. They'll, they'll control you. They'll lie to you. But they'll never take you home to meet the family. That's not allowed. And that's the whole thing. They're never going to give you the whole answer. Because what's the point? It's like I, I do this whole thing with the Super Bowl here. So you have the Super Bowl and the average Super Bowl ticket is $11,000. And I ask people, if you knew the score to the football game before this game, how many tickets do you think they'd sell $11,000 ticket? Not a single one. Steer the whole idea. It's If you come into the world with the answers, it's kind of pointless. So it's, it's the, and people want the end result. We're into this thing about, we want everything yesterday. When in fact, it's the journey. It's We came here not to get stop because we're going to leave it behind you you come in with nothing you're going to leave with nothing it's not that it's the journey it's learning stuff while you're here that's the whole point why are we here this the whole the bottom line the whole thing we have to figure out why we why do we come into the world and when you leave michael newton said the seven thousand people all say the same thing you go in front of a council between three and twelve people and they ask you one question only they say so how to work out because you planned it and you can't say, oh, Hillary Clinton did it, or the mother-in-law, the dog ate the homework. They're going to go, time out, time out. It's not about them. It's about you. You planned this. How did it work out? And Michael Newton says, all 7,000 people said the same thing. I could have done better. It was like, I came in to work on greed. I came in to work on envy. I came in to do whatever. This is all just lessons. And people get all wrapped up in, in the toys, and we're going to get stuff for this lifetime. What, what you got to remember is that the minute you die, you're going to realize you were a puppet. Because you played King Henry the Twelfth in grade 12 doesn't mean you're King Henry the Eighth. You're playing a, a role. And when you leave, you're going to go, hey, that was like a dream. And in your next lifetime, it'll become a forgotten dream. You won't even remember this lifetime. So we're getting all upset about what we're going to get in this lifetime. We've got to realize it's this whole pattern of all these strings of lifetimes and that we came in to learn something. And all we've got to do is figure out why did we come into the world? Where, what are the answer questions we're going to be asked when we leave the world? One question and leaves you the, the last question is, what am I doing? And am I doing it? That's all we got to worry. Why did I come here to do it? And that's what you'll say to people. Uh, uh, you know what the number is pretty high with experiences. They'll ask the question. I'll ask them. I'll say, hey, do you think you're on a mission? And the people will go, yeah, I think so. I don't know what it is, but I think so. Or they'll they'll say, yeah, I'm on a mission. And they'll tell you. I'm here to do this and I'm working on this and all this sort of stuff. And the beings told me to do this and this. And that's the whole thing. Everybody's on a mission. They, they forget they're on some sort of mission. We're here for a reason. We're not here randomly. That was the question asked me. Is it a random world or is it a pattern world? It, it, did you plan this? And you can say, well, you know, we want to play the victim. But you got to realize that you are not going to be helped in any sort of difficult situation you're in until you take responsibility, whether it was your fault or not. You got to take responsibility for the situation you're in, as I did when the soul side. And it's like, okay, you know, I took it, and it's like, boom, it ended right away. You got to take responsibility for the situation you're in, and why, or even the idea that if something bad happens to you, you go, 
if you sort of take responsibility, you say, why would I plan to do this to myself? And then you start looking for the lesson instead of saying, oh, it's so terrible. You know, why can't I have an easy life and something? And that's what we do. We want to do the victim role because we believe in this separation thing that there's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm a perfect guy. And there's these bad guys who are trying to influence me and there's people trying to steal my stuff. And there's uh, all, all these bad influences and it's their fault that I'm having a bad life. When in fact, you, if, if the, the Michael Newton thing is, is real, then we planned it all. We planned the good stuff. We planned the bad stuff. And we did it all for a reason. Something that I've learned in the last year or so is that even just living a mundane life is valuable from a spiritual perspective because you're coming here and you're integrating contrast experience. You're integrating your healing trauma or past life trauma or whatever it is. There's all this stuff that's actually going on just by being here. So I think a lot of people might think, well, my purpose, you know, what is it? And maybe it's just that. That might be all of our default purpose. And then above that, maybe we have something else, a talent that we're good at or or, or maybe music or whatever it is. Um, but how would you suggest that people figure out or remember who they are and why they're here. You mentioned psilocybin. That's definitely a powerful tool that a lot of people use. What methodologies would you promote for that? Well, in in the um, I wrote a book called Contact Modalities, where I look at seventy different. Uh, Desta Barnaby and I wrote the book. It's called Contact Modalities, and it's the idea that everything is in the field, all the information. And so we looked at seventy different ways to get in the field. So psilocybin is one. Going through the front windshield of a car is another, which you don't really recommend. Uh, the trauma thing, because almost all people who have uh, really high end experiences, for example, Edgar Casey, uh, his father hit him across the head one time, knocked him flying off a chair because he couldn't learn his, his spelling lessons. That's when the lady first came to him and, and started to talk to him. And then he got hit in the head with a baseball. And that's when he started to do the channeling about we have the body and this do this and do that and with all this medical stuff. And he did the 14,000 stuff. Trauma is almost always a part of uh, that's what we say. We don't want trauma. We just want the good stuff. Just give me the, the chocolate cake, you know, don't get that. And the trauma is, you see, there's an experiment done with uh, uh, mediums in Brazil, and almost all of them had childhood abuse issues. And I remember there's a medium that, that, that Sid Goldberg from Gaia and I were sitting in a bar in Toronto one time, and I was giving him this thing. You know, trauma is part of it, that you have this trauma, these people have trauma events, and it opens up, it rips the filter, and they become psychic, or like trauma event, an abduction is a trauma event. And these people become psychic and all this stuff. They start getting in the field and they start getting downloads and stuff like that. And he said, no, no, I don't know. Really. And so this girl comes in and she's, her name is Osi. And she's, she says, I'm a medium. And she's got these photographs. She's showing up to Sid for this car. And there's a UFO around the car and this on this security camera. She said, no, I think it's a spider web or whatever. And they're talking. And I said, Hey, Osi, can I ask you a question? And she says, yeah, sure. I said, how was your childhood? And then she says, oh, it's terrible. Sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, whatever. I look at Sid and I say, told you. <laughs> and so then the next guy walks in. He's an experiencer as well. And he says, ask him now. <laughs> he sort of got into this. And that's the whole thing. So in contact mode, I go, so you have trauma. You have uh, psychedelics. You have uh, meditation, uh, uh, fasting, uh, pain, uh, all sorts of uh different things uh, koans these one i didn't even know this whole thing about what's what's the sound of one hand clapping and that's the, the koan thing is to shut the left brain down is to give the left brain something to the left brain's going hey 
what is the answer to that? And then the left brain goes off and he's trying to figure this out. And while it's going for coffee, boop, the, the filter opens and you can and you can go in. And there was a lot of those things where it was left brain. There's a there's a healing method. It's called the Bankston method, and it's it's a energy healing method that claims it can cure cancer. And the better the worse the cancer, the better it is. And the way they look at it, they 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 the guy said, he's he, and I actually took the training course, and it was that you you have this thing where you take 20 ego images. You can't say, I want to save the world. That's not, you can't use that. You got to be an ego image. I want a motor home and it's going to look like this. I want a car and it's going to be this color and it's going to have this, all these options and stuff. And you imagine all this stuff in your head. You take these 20 ego images that appeal to the left brain, this little ego thing that wants more toys and stuff like that. And then you take the images and you, you memorize them and then you go faster and faster and faster and faster. And, faster. and you go and, and you teach you, flip these images in your head and then they put them on a wheel and you can flip the wheel. You start to spin the wheel and these images are going around and you can do thousands of images a second. And as soon as you do that, the energy comes out your left hand. So the right brain runs the left side of the body. So the left brain, suddenly comes, the right brain becomes active. The, left, the heat is coming out the left hand and you can heal people at any distance, whatever you want. And I remember uh, as soon as I saw that, saw that, this thing about coming out of the left hand and stuff and the ego images, I said, I know what Bankston is doing. They're doing that. I know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're shutting down the left brain. And then I went to him. I took the training course in Chicago, went out to Chicago, and I said to Banks, and I said, Hey, you didn't invent this thing. It was Bennett Merrick that invented it. And he had got it again, this crossover. He had been a, 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 a guard at a swimming pool, and this psychic guy uh, was able to do anything, any object. And he could tell you all this stuff. And he said, I couldn't fool the guy. I'd give him an object, somebody's toy, a watch, or whatever. And he was perfect. And I couldn't figure out what's, how does this guy work? And then the guy started this thing with the healing thing where he could tell people what was wrong with them and, and he could heal people. And he's the guy that came up with this idea of the 20 images. And I'm going like, there's no way this came from the rational analytical left brain. Like what person is going to say, hey, I think I'll flip 20 images in my head at a thousand uh, a, a second and, and I'll cure cancer. That came from someone. So that came from a download. And so I said, Bennett Mayer came with that. He said, well, yeah, talk to me in the coffee break. And I never did talk to him about it. But then at the end of his book, he says, and here's the crossover again. He said at the end of his book, he said, oh, Bennett Merrick, he was having a kind of a rough end. He said he actually thought he was an alien and he was from Alpha Centauri. And he had come to the world to bring this healing, healing modality to the world. And that I was part of the mission with him. And I go, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> That's where it came from. It came from this, this thing. And then you, you take that and it's this idea of flipping images. And then you, you see the crossovers again. So then you get Susie Hansen, who's flown the ship. If you've ever Susie Hansen out of New, New Zealand, and she tells the story. We're we're putting into a theater, two hundred fifty of us. And we're in the theater, and she says, all of a sudden, this ecological image comes on the screen, and then another one, another one, another one, another one, another one, another one. And she said, suddenly there was hundreds at a at a second going, and they had taught us how to do it. And I go, hey, that's like Bankston's method. The aliens taught, and and they're doing this thing. And she said, and then the alien comes out, and he puts his hand like this, and everybody calms down. And all the people start crying, all the, the all the emotion is gone, but the images stay in your head. And then you, if you go to the aerial school story, you know the aerial school story with the little kids? There were the 62 school kids, 1994, Rhodesia, where the, the alien lands. And the, the, these two women, one's from Canada, where I'm from. She's she's there and they're running along the edge of the, uh, the thing. And uh, the, the, there's these logs on the edge of the school ground. And they're running there and all of a sudden there's this flash. And she looks over and there's this alien, a gray alien, who's imitating them. They're, they're bouncing up and down on these logs and he's imitating them. He's run, he's levitated and he's beside them. And she goes, she's looking at this thing. And then also, boom, the thing's right in front of her. And the eyes, it's coming out of the eyes. The information's coming out of the eyes. And she said, these images, 
And I go, it's rapid image cycling. It's the same thing. They're doing the same thing. So you see these, these, these different modalities. And so I, we listed 70 of these modalities and they're, they all across the board, uh, you know, meditation, hypnosis, there's just piles and piles of these things. And people will find something that they, they're, they're good at. I, the one I use is, is walking. So I'll walk an awful lot. I'll just, I'll just sort of walk. And eventually your brain will shut down and suddenly the idea will come. Or going into a shower is another one. But me, unfortunately, it's always just before I go in the shower or just as the shower starts, I'm going, can you not wait until I get out of the shower? It's like, I can't. Or there's one story, the funny story is, uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, Cohen. No, it was, um, it was a, a famous musician out of, out of, out of LA driving down the LA freeway. All of a sudden this song starts coming to him. He's, I guess he's zoned out. He's just driving down the LA freeway with all these cars and stuff. And he's zoned out and all of a sudden, boom, the song comes in his head. And he's going, does it look like I can do a song right now? He said, you can, can you come back later and give me the song? He said, you know, if you can't, then go to loan, go and bug Leonard Cohen, leave me alone. And I said, you hear these stories or Paul McCartney, the song yesterday came in a dream. He woke up in the middle of the dream. So the dream state is when your, your left brain is going to sleep and people will pick stuff up in dreams or hippopompic state. When just before you go to sleep and just when you wake up, that's the whole thing. So when you wake up and you've got an idea in your head, what you do is you do not move. Do not even move a finger because as soon as you move a finger, the left brain says, hey, he's waking up. Let's go. And, and boom, the filter shuts. And you know what this feels like. People have had this experience where you're trying to remember the dream and it's like water going down a toilet. And you're trying to remember the dream and the, the filter is shutting. And it's shutting off. And that's that's this whole idea. So there's in contact modalities. And that was a big book. A lot of experiences read that book because it gave all these different modalities. But it's the basic idea is shut the left brain down. You have two brains for a reason. The, the, the left brain is the male brain. It's into fighting. It's into all this kind of stuff. And you need it in the physical world in order to uh, operate in the physical world. But once you shut it down, then the, the right brain, the female brain can tap in. The female brain is into oneness. It's in, let's be a family female ideas family it's all be one left is like hey it's oh it's super Bowl. let's we're gonna kick the kick these guys we're gonna win you know and it's like battle and stuff like that and it's these two competing sides and and so the whole modality thing of getting these ideas or getting in the field and getting the material is to um to, to shut left brain and i i wrote the book inspired i looked at 12 or 13 Nobel Prizes. I looked at all the inventions, the major inventions. Theory of relativity came to Einstein in a dream. He's going to the toboggan and he, Einstein said, I knew I had to understand that dream. In fact, you could say, and I would say that my entire career was based on a meditation on that dream. The idea of the quantum atom, Niels Bohr won the Nobel Prize for it. He's at a horse track and the, 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 the horses are going around, they're running around and the guy's narrating the thing to me. He said, whenever you want to move the horse, change lanes with the horse, you actually have to speed up or slow down to get into the next lane and you can't step on the lines. And that's the whole idea of shells, the electrons moving in the shells around the electron that you that they move, they just jump like the horse track. So you see these things and you start realizing, oh, that's where they got the idea. Everybody thinks it's, it's, it's really smart people, but there's even a study done with um in it was called the Terman study from 1921 and they followed these the last one and died, i think died in 1999 these were the the 1540 smartest kids in california and they followed them from when they were young kids you had a 140 iq to get in uh there was 25 percent of the kids had an iq of 180 or above and they followed these kids their entire life and they did nothing 
No, I don't think because it's all rational analytical. It's all memorization. They all had university. A lot of them went to university and got degrees or whatever, but they didn't. One was the head of the American Psychological Association. But other than that, there was no Nobel Prize. There was two guys that were Nobel Prize guys that they looked at, but their IQs were only 120. One was Alvarez. I can't remember the other guy was, but they were rejected. No, no Nobel Prizes, no major inventions among these 1,540 kids. They were just ordinary people. And the, the people that that are that have the Nobel Prizes are Einstein, who could speak till he was like three years old or four years old or whatever. Autistic, you get a lot of autistic people have that thing where the the left brain is not really reacting very much. And same with uh, left brain, a lot of autistic people are psychic. So it's the same same idea. So it's it's this idea of finding a technique that can relax you. Meditation, people will say. But unless you can sit there and work on this and work on this and work on this, sometimes that uh, doesn't work. That's why I used the psilocybin because I knew it was a very high risk. I, I didn't want to go. I hate roller coasters, but I knew you, you got to go there. And I learned uh, I, I learned some stuff. They went into the ego thing, which is is a big part of um, uh, of this mystery is uh, they hate ego. They kept saying, you think you understand. You haven't got a clue. They told me that over and over. And then finally, after about five sessions, this, I go, okay, I'm getting sick and tired of this. I said, and I don't know who was talking to me. It may have been spirit guide or something. I didn't see anybody, but this sort of someone was talking to me. And I said, okay, so I'm just here to figure out what's going on. That's the only reason I'm here. And uh, you know, I'm not trying to get anything. So what's what the hell's going on? Like, how does the reality work? And, and then this thing says, we don't know either. I go, oh, come on. I don't know. Get out of here. <laughs> it's like weird. But it, again, it's this block thing. They tell you what you need to know. And that's what the beings are doing. They're leading us slowly along. They can land on the White House lawn. That's what we do. We go into a country and we say, we're here to bring you freedom, democracy, Jesus, and McDonald's. And then the people point the guns and say, get the hell out of here. Who do you think you are? And that's what they're, they're not doing. They can't interrupt with us. They can't interfere with us. But they can lead us on and, and sort of, and it may actually be us. A lot of people, experiencers will say, that's me. That, that's my family. I'm connected to them for some reason. I'm, I'm part of them or whatever. And it's the idea that we may be playing the other side of the role that we are. We used to be grazed and we're part of this role and we're playing a role in order to learn something. Cause that's in the Michael Newton thing. That's what you do. You, you set up with a bunch of people. I want to learn this. You do this to me. I'll do this. And, and uh, we learn and really nothing is, is, is random. You have the, the, uh, the uh, choice to make your choices before you come in. But once the thing starts to roll, people will talk about when they before they come into the, the world, Michael Newton, 7000 people and they're sitting in a theater and they're watching all the events of their future life. And you got to when I see this person, I got to do this. Or I always talk with podcasters. We all may have come in on the same deal. We had a big meeting before we say, and you say, I'm going to do a podcast. I say, I'm going to do, write some books. I'm going to research, whatever. And you do this. I'm going to do this. And we're all coming in this idea of the, th the three waves that people are coming into the world at this time with this UFO thing. Some people are playing the aliens. Some people are playing the experiencers and they're all playing this role to raise the zeitgeist and raise the consciousness of the world at the point when we have nuclear weapons and we could wipe ourselves out or we could ecologically wipe ourselves out that we've come in to raise the consciousness to make this flip that we're at this this critical point in history and that not, none of this is, is accidental that we're all playing a role and the, the key is to figure out what the role we're playing is and what are we supposed to be doing and are we doing it and that's all we need to worry about we can't it doesn't really matter you can't change what anybody else is going to do all you can do is affect what you're doing and what you're putting into the world well said and uh you've opened up about 20 rabbit holes that i now need to go research and look into and i can't wait to read your books um so if people want to reach out to you and and check out your books, 
uh, what's a good place for them to go? I don't really, I used to have the presidential UFO website, but I shut it down. Um, and uh, it's all connected is the publishing. I help people publish. Like when I hear people have a, an incredible uh, experience or story, I always say, you write that down yet? And they go, no, hey, write it down. I'll help you. I'll show you how to publish it. And because people can self-publish now. So it's all connected, all one word, which is is basically the bottom line of the thing. It's all connected. It's all one thing. It's all connected. Publishing and the books are there. And uh, I put a lot of stuff on Twitter. I'm doing um, the stuff now on Twitter with the latest revelation that Jim uh, Jim Semivan made, uh, where he talks about the uh, uh, PEADS, P-E-A-D-S. I had always done the disclosure thing with the government. How are they covering this up? How did they do it? I always thought it was executive order. And he talked about it. And I did. He said, most people haven't heard of it. And I go, wow, I'd never heard of this. And, and I've worked on this for 30 years, the presidents and government documents. And a PEED is a, um, a presidential emergency action document, which is filed by the president uh, under FEMA. And I wrote a, an article um, on my presidential site from the Johnson administration, where I talk about uh, the fact that the Kecksburg crash in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, the um, Mount Weather was involved and um, the code name was on there, Mount Weather. And the Mount Weather is where the president is taking up this nuclear exchange. When 9-11 happened, everybody from Congress was moved to uh, Mount Weather, which is about 50 miles or 40 miles out of Washington. It's underground. It was secret for 40 years. Nobody knew this thing existed. They have everything under there. And that's where the government will move if, if there's a nuclear exchange to this underground facility. And uh, so he said that the, the, he had written, that, that Eisenhower had written his PEED um to handle it and that's how they're that's how the thing is is uh classified it's classified under an emergency fema act so that and uh, none of these things have ever been declassified and uh, they're, so they're treating it like an emergency and they have unlimited powers and uh nobody can even congress and and then jim semivan actually said the same thing i'd said because people i don't think really pay attention like uh jim lukowski said oh there was a crack and and we we we've been inside it and we were discussing this in Washington and there was, a, there was a senator in the room and everybody just keeps saying, oh, there's a craft and they're inside the craft. And they said, you forgot the big part. There was a senator in the room when they were talking about this. The senator, people know this is legal. And this is the whole thing that Jim Semivan said that these peds, uh, there, some of the gang of eight may know, not all of them may know, because the gang of eight is the guys that are supposed to know all the waived unacknowledged special access programs. They're supposed to know. They don't know the details, but they just know we have this program. You don't need to know about it, whatever, just because you gotta, you're paying the money or whatever. But uh, he said some of the congressmen know, and the proof of that is that in 2009, Harry Reid, who's the head of the uh, Democrats in the Senate, uh, wrote a letter to uh, classify the OSAP program as a special access program. So he knew. He knew where they were hiding these programs and he wanted OSAP to be one of these special access programs. It didn't get there. And then it got declassified, it got leaked and this, the story came out. Otherwise, if he had gotten that special access request in 2009, you never heard of Skinwalker Ranch. You wouldn't have heard about ATIP. You wouldn't have heard about OSAP. It would all have been in the black world with the rest of it. So, so Reed knew about this black world. So they, that's where they're doing these, I believe, these programs. So I've posted a lot of stuff on my Twitter, which is Grant Cameron uh, Twitter. I put a lot of stuff on there. Uh, the latest uh, stuff on there and presidential UFO is my Facebook site, which I, I put uh, more of the spiritual stuff. The Twitter is more people want to fight about uh, government disclosure and who's covering up and all that kind of stuff. They're not really interested in the spiritual stuff. Facebook is more into the uh, 
the other aspects. So that's that's where they can contact me. But it's all connected is where the books I've done 21 books. I've got uh, three that have to be published yet. But um, and I, I go across the spectrum. I start with UFOs. I do cover up. But I do the most important ones are the inspired book, the book on flying the crafts, which tells you that that that's how they move the crafts around. And that's what Lukatsky has confirmed. The head of the program, the OSAP program, has confirmed the technology is a combination of physical and psychic abilities. And that's what it is. You use the mind. That's how you move the craft around. And uh, when that gets revealed, then all bets are off. Because right now they're saying UFOs exist. But when it suddenly becomes that psychic is real, that you can actually move around the universe with your mind, everything's going to collapse. So it's going to be like, I used to have people get your going to church clothes ready. Cause this is going to be like a spiritual experience, man. You're going to have to realize why am I here? What's going on? It's not really physical the way people think it is. It's this thing that has this psychic component to it. And, and they, they just, they just know it. They're just at a higher vibrating level and they're giving us these little breadcrumbs. They're never going to tell us exactly how it works, but they'll lead us. And then uh, we teach the people below us and it just evolves that way and the universe gets more complex more magnificent and that's the way it works well grant thanks for coming on yeah well thanks for having me on anytime you want to go down another rabbit hole let's do it